0: right, Breaker One-Nighter on the interwebs. Get your ears on for the Fitness Skills Podcast from GMB, where we teach you how to get strong by practicing skills you actually want to learn and have fun in the process. My name is Andy Fawcett. I'm not only the founder of the GMB Posse, but also a client. And here with me is the hero of the GMB Epic Saga, Ryan Hurst, our program director and head coach. How's it going, Ryan? What is up? What is up? So uh, this is actually a historic... Uh, first, in the world of the GMB podcast, uh, for actually two reasons. One, because it's probably the first time that I'm wearing pants. Wow. Yeah, and secondly, is actually the reason for the first one, is because Ryan and I are actually recording this in the same room.
1: Amazing.
0: Yes, and we're actually sitting
1: right next to each other. And it's kind of a strange feeling, like... In a weird kind of way. I won't go into too much about that, but anyway, uh, yeah. It's good to see you, Andy. Uh, yes. have you here in Osaka? Uh, we've been having a good time over the past couple of days, uh, eating a lot of food. Eating a lot of yaki It's good. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, drinking a couple malt beverages along the way. So uh, that was fun. You're a you're um,
0: full-grown man, Maybe You yeah, can do it. That's all right. That's right. Um, another thing I'll just have to say, if my voice sounds constricted in any way today, uh, it's because my, uh, Ryan's microphone is roughly half the size of my microphone. And I apologize if the sound is not
1: bursting into its usual fullness. Well, you know, it's not the size of the microphone, but uh, the way you use it. So, yeah. Uh, how you work the mouth. How you work
0: Okay, anyway, horrible. so horrible. today, uh, besides all of <laughs> this going the wrong direction, um, we have uh, an amazing, awesome, wonderful guest with us who's a good friend of ours uh, and has written a couple of posts on our website before, too, Anthony Michael. <sighs> so,
1: Anthony, how's it going, man? It's going very well. Thank you for having me.
2: But well, thanks for sitting through that first intro there. Um, yeah, I, I almost like burst into laughter and ruined it all for <laughs> you. But I, I'm—I feel very privileged that I'm. I'm, I'm one of the first guests where you're, you're both holding hands and yeah. wearing clothes, so I, yeah. I feel special.
0: We're not necessarily skipping through a field of daisies. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll save that for when we have the uh, wireless microphone technology. Uh. Okay, bring me back for that one too. Okay, so yeah, we'll one make one. a – yeah, cool. So um, Anthony uh, is a strength coach and athlete and uh, just an all-around cool guy and a pretty good writer. And, and the boy can move. The boy can move. And more importantly, he's got a really good way of breaking things down and explaining uh, concepts that we really like a lot. But Anthony, how about you just kind of give us a little bit of background on uh, sort of how you got into all
2: this stuff? Absolutely. So um, let's see. I, I'm 25 now. So back when I was about you know, 13, 14, I was – just basically a, a nerdy kid in school that watched one too many cartoons and wanted to do some cool things. And you know, looking in the mirror, I wasn't too satisfied with myself. I I was what I call myself now, and uh, other people out there, skinny fat. So I was more along the skinny side of things, but I was also fat. Had some fat around my waist and you know other key areas that that aren't very. Prideful. But anyway, so uh, it, it sounds silly, but again, one of the the cartoon shows that I watched was Dragon Ball Z, which you know, if you grew up in my time, you probably watched too. You should have at least, and if you didn't, then you disappoint me. But anyway, so I, I kind of watched that, and I saw people that were doing some cool things. Granted, they are all cartoon characters, but they looked pretty well built, and they did cool stuff. And you know, and I looked at myself. I was basically the exact opposite of that, and. I felt that I kind of was an outcast at the time socially, and and really, I guess you know, in my mind, it was sort of justification of of being cool if I if I kind of built my body up to look well built and be able to do cool stuff. So that's kind of what what brought me to the whole space. It wasn't until years later that I actually you know decided to actually like aggressively pursue it, but here I am.
0: That's interesting. So your your inspiration to get started in all this stuff was cartoons. For me,
2: it was Mr. T. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny to, to really look back on it because I, I don't think a lot of people like, you know, if you try to identify the, the, the catalyst of it all, uh, that's definitely it um, to be honest. And then soon after that, I found uh, Tricking, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And then that got me into the whole realm of performance. And then I decided that I wanted my life to be about it. So then I went to school about it and then coached and, yeah, wrote. And here I am again. Very cool. Very cool. I think it's really
0: interesting that – so you mentioned tricking. And uh, tricking is a very, very cool sport uh, in that – well, it's not really competitive necessarily, um, but – it It really pushes you to some very interesting uh, athleticism. You have to be very strong and flexible. And more than that, the thing that really interests us, especially uh, at GMB, is that you have to gain like amazing control over your body uh, and learn how to how to move in ways that most people would think looks like magic or or maybe even something on a cartoon.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's like I said, like it, it, I really kind of wasn't exaggerating. Like when you see people, even though they're cartoons, you're just like, hey, I want to do that. And you don't think it's possible. But once you take that kind of first step and you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm doing something that's kind of cool. And then you gain that little confidence. And that's kind of what it's all about, because in the beginning and even a lot of stuff that you do at Gold Medal Bodies, it makes me. You know, daunting, and I can never do that, but all you need is really to get over the first hurdle.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. The, and speaking of some hurdles, actually, you actually had a pretty big injury with tricking, but you came back from that. And uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure.
2: If, I, if, I, if you put me on the spot here, yep. but I, I rehash old memories <laughs> or but, uh, Yeah, so. Um, it was basically a fluke injury and in, in that I jumped too high and missed my landing and landed on my foot and broke it in five places. Hmm. Um, so, so you don't have to was, that stuff. <laughs> no, no. Um, and then it took me about, I was in a cast and on crutches probably for about three months. And then uh, another three months before I didn't walk with a limp and, it's about two, two years and some months later, and I, I still deal with it. It still still bothers me, but I didn't need screws. And there, there's always positives out of any injury, and, and I fully believe that. So I'm smarter now because of it than I would have been. So that's really what I hinge myself on, just trying to take the positive out of it. Yeah, So so you say
0: you're smarter now. Like, what's an example? Like, what's something – that you've, you've learned maybe about, you know, from, from that experience that's maybe made you better as a, as a coach or an athlete? The,
2: how important the foot is. <laughs> really, uh, yeah. You only get two of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not only that, but just how important, uh, like you, you, you put them in shoes your entire life. And then once something goes wrong and you have to, you know, like your, your entire body, continues on and then you get out of your cast and your foot's like it like regressed the whole 20 however old you are like it just fresh out of the package and I could like you I couldn't stand and balance on one leg and then you learn that trying to balance your knees wobbling like all over the place and then that affects your hip and then you know just stuff like that and it, like as you rehab it's like oh well, this just really makes sense and and I probably would never realize that if my foot didn't chatter into pieces so I always try to find the positive that's very cool um it's interesting so
0: you said it's kind of like starting over and I you know children go through this process naturally but it, they get years and years to do it but as adults when we try to learn new things we're also sort of in that situation and, you know, we might, you know, try to get up on gymnastic rings or try to do a skill that we've never tried before. And we find that we're wobbling all over the place and we might think, oh, man, we can't do this, you know, but it's just kind of a learning process. Is there anything that particular that you noticed in kind of like starting your, your whole leg from scratch again over the course of a couple of years?
2: What, what was that like? Tough. Uh, mainly because like I said, I walk with a limp, it's like, it, it, it's very humbling in a sense that it's just so dysfunctional that, I mean, I, it's just, it's really hard, hard to explain because you take it all for granted in that even something as simple as squatting down or. Uh, you know just balancing on one leg like I said that was like the majority of my rehab for the first couple of months was balancing on my leg and balancing on on the ball of my foot and with my eyes open with my eyes closed and whenever you do stuff like that you, you kind of realize the the sense of progression that you kind of have to go through that we probably often take for granted like like you said oh I'm just gonna hop up on the rings and do muscle-ups and all these combinations, like, all this stuff, but it, the rings are a perfect analogy because you have to learn how to stabilize and balance and not wobble all over the place, and with my foot, it was kind of the same way. It was like, okay, well, first, I just have to not fall over when I stand on one leg, and then whenever you have that down, it's like, okay, then I can add maybe a little movement or maybe a little bit of difficulty otherwise, and so you just realize that taking your time, <laughs> as much as people don't want to take their time, but taking your time and really following a a sensible sequence is more powerful than you'd expect.
0: Yeah. And I think taking your time is something that you, you can't shortcut, especially when you're talking about, you know, rehabilitation or, uh, you know, teaching, teaching yourself how to use complex movements, you know, again, um, you know, There's a lot of things where we can try to find shortcuts with like just straight up muscle hypertrophy with, with just muscle size. There's probably some shortcuts you can do with diet and different types of training and things that will make a muscle grow faster. But in terms of, you know, getting your leg to function properly again, I think a lot of it is, you know, neurological and, you know, skill and things that you can't really rush. And like, like you said, the time I think is really key. You just have to, have to let yourself take it.
2: Yeah, I mean the thing—the thing with a lot of great athletes is, is a lot of great athletes, and and but yeah, that's a, a pretty ambiguous term. But like, I guess you go with like people in the NFL and stuff. A lot of them really aren't that great of movers. They use um, a lot of them use strength and, and these other qualities to sort of make up for their really like lack of graceful movement, if you want to put it that way. So uh, that's really one area, and. and, and part of that's probably why because stuff like gymnastics and stuff that that teaches you that kind of awareness awareness is faded away away, like like we don't don't learn learn anymore most kids don't learn learn anymore in schools and whatnot but yeah yeah, yeah, following that that kind kind of sequence sequence and just learning learning, some some of the the basics basics can help help even some of the greatest greatest. and just Just, a a a little little personal anecdote here is a lot of people that break uh just one bone in their foot end up rebreaking it relatively quickly because they don't follow any progression they just think oh it's healed I'm, I'm good to go but uh, I haven't rebroken anything my foot's absolutely fine the doctor was pretty surprised with how it has come along so yeah
1: and you're of course out there and you're still doing tricks and stuff like that so i mean you know mentally too that's got to be pretty rough to go back out there and 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 train on that so you know, I remember when you were helping us out with doing the uh, the tricking primer that yep. you did for us. Um, I remember you saying that you were a little bit nervous about maybe having to go inside and do some tricks. You said you felt more comfortable outside. So obviously, the mental part of it too must have been pretty tough coming back and getting back into everything.
2: Yeah, yeah well, that, that, that that's, that's something, something I, I still struggle, struggle with, with. <laughs> because <laughs> you know you, have you, a, you, you really, really have that. that um just just that <laughs> like so in, in my particular case the reason why i broke my foot was because i jumped too high and my foot that was supposed to land didn't land it completely missed the ground so for anyone that's trained on any kind of like plyo flooring or any kind of spring flooring you know that it gives you a little bit of extra bounce so yeah yeah that, that extra bounce, so you know, like, like in my, my in my, my head, head, it's like, well, that, well, that could, could cause it cause again, end, but, but in grass, grass, and this is something, something that, that a, a lot, lot of tricksters are, are actually starting to, to sort of realize, is that, that you're more, more uh, uh, I guess like you could say, humbled, humbled in grass, grass. Like, like, it's, it's real, like, that you you almost concentrate more because there's more at stake, and it takes some more effort. So, yeah, I'm definitely more comfortable in grass, and I, and this is just a Completely random aside, aside but i, I hate, hate trampolines, trampolines. So I, I i can't, can't, can't even do, do any flip on a trampoline, trampoline because they scare me about trampolines <laughs> freak
0: me out too actually i ryan loves trampolines. yeah i love
1: trampolines. But, but
0: like i get on one and i'm afraid to do anything more than just a straight single back because uh i can do that with control and i can slow it down but if i try to do anything else i know i'm gonna overshoot it and like kill myself
1: ping off of there yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah, it does. I mean, I remember whenever I was like 13, one of my friends tried to do something and then he just like flew off the trampoline completely. I was like, yeah, I'll just stick to the grass. Like, uh, <laughs> Probably smart. Probably smart.
1: So what have you got coming up? Let us know what you got What you got going on.
2: Absolutely. So um, my my website, uh, anthonymichael.com, is sort of – A uh, kind of a chronicle of my own steps through the realm of physical performance. So it really started just fixing myself physically and coming to terms with my body and body composition. You know, being happy with how I looked, and that kind of snowballed uh, with tricking and uh, and and all these other things. So um, I released really, I guess you could say, my ethos on body composition and stuff from my specific starting point, which was, um, skinny fatness. So my next really, uh, huge project is learning how to then, you know, kind of further mesh the aesthetics with some more of the movement and athletic things specifically with tricking. So, you know, just starting at the ground level, how do you, how do you come to terms with, you know, doing any kind of flips or twists or Anything like that, and really starting it at an extremely basic level to kind of build momentum. So that's really where where I want to take my next step.
1: Cool. You've also got uh, your book that came out, The Clean Bulk. Yeah, it's,
2: it's called it's uh, called. Uh, oh, oh, I'm okay. sorry.
1: Say so, sorry about that, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Chaos. Oh no, cool. Pardon me. has so so been sorry. reading too much bodybuilding.com yeah, and got a little confused. Kind of, yeah. Sorry about that.
2: <laughs> no, it's it's easy to get confused because it is it is essentially what you would call a, a clean bulk. So um, for any of you that, that may not be familiar, I'm using the term clean bulk to refer to adding muscle without adding body fat. So traditional bodybuilding wisdom says that in order to gain muscle, you're probably going to have to get fat. So You go on the – most people do it during the winter. You go on 8, 12, 16, whatever stints where you basically eat the house and you get fat and then you gain muscle and then you go through this whole process of getting rid of the fat. And then at the end of the tunnel, you're supposed to be more muscular. So my whole thing was like that's a very – one, I've tried it many times and it never worked out as as I hoped. I always gained more fat than I wanted to and I always – seemed to somehow lose more muscle during the cut. So I ended up almost at square one, and I was like, I just went through, like, 20 weeks of pure torture, and I have nothing to show for it. So I basically, at the start of last year, was like, okay, well, I know a lot of people say you can't really gain muscle without fat, but why don't I give a shot? So that's basically what I did, and it turned out at the end of the year, I, I gained, you know, uh probably – I think it was any, anywhere in the neighborhood of, of 10 to 15, you know, scales fluctuate, um, 10 to 15 pounds. And I wasn't really any fatter. So, you know, that that kind of formed the entire concept of the chaos ball. And, uh, you know, if you want me to keep rambling, I can tell you why it's called yeah. the chaos. Yeah, keep going. Because, I mean, because
0: otherwise we're just going to call it the clean ball. Yeah, exactly.
2: So, I mean, you, you know, better, you better
0: justify your, your chaos assertion.
2: Yeah. So part of that is the reason why I chose chaos is because it is a relatively chaotic process. So again, whenever you look at most, uh, bulking cutting programs, you're eating the same amount of food every day, uh, regardless of what you do. Right. So, you know, if you're bulking, you eat X amount of calories every day and then you fatten up. And then whenever you're cutting every day, you go negative and you lean down. But, um, Really, the kind of defining moment that, that tipped me off to try something different was paralleling it to thirst. So, you, outside of like the, the, I don't want to call them crazy because some people do, but it's crazy in my opinion. People that drink like uh, so much amount of water every day, like they have that amount. Oh, I drank eight glasses of water, I'm done. You know, I hit my limit and I'm done. Well, you know, like for me, thirst is just if I'm thirsty I drink and if I'm thirstier I drink more. If I'm not as thirsty, you don't drink. And in that sort of relationship where it's it's very chaotic in a sense. So you never really have a set amount. All you do is gauge based upon how you feel. And so if you're feeling thirstier you drink more. Well, when you parallel that to some kind of nutrition, whenever you're thirstier, in a sense, whenever you're in a position where you can benefit from more, you eat more. Sometimes a lot more, and then the flip side of that is whenever you're in a situation where you don't benefit from that more, you don't eat that much. So, it's really kind of this chaotic intermixing uh, of, of concepts, but whenever it's all boiled down, I can assure you it's really not that complicated. So, don't don't go crazy just yet. <laughs>
0: Okay. Cool. So, like, I know that you've experimented with fasting and different kinds of dietary approaches and everything. So, I'm guessing that you know, on some days, maybe if you're you're not moving much or if you're not training much, then you might almost not eat at all. Maybe
2: that could potentially happen. Yeah. I mean, personally, um, <clears throat> while I have done longer duration fasts, uh, you know, anywhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 to 50 hours. I don't recommend them just because I think you can kind of get, um, caught up in them. And then like, just, just like anything else, um, you tend to like, for, so like before the big intermittent fasting boom, you ate six full meals a day. And that was like the only way to lose fat or, you know, achieve anything. And now that intermittent fasting is boomed, it's like the only way to lose fat or do anything is to fast. So, you know, I don't want to make it, um, sound like that because there's certainly different avenues for, for the record. The chaos bulk is, uh, does you make use of intermittent fasting. Back to the original question. Um, yeah. So you might only eat once a day, if that suits you, um, like one by, by eating one meal a day, I, I consider that like one sit down meal inside the chaos bulk. I I say that, you know, you can have basically sporadic feedings of vegetables and, you know, fruit throughout the day. If you like have that huge hunger pang where you feel like you're going to like eat your desk or something. So I'm not like extremely strict with, if you put any one piece of food in your mouth, like all your gains are going to go away. But um, yeah, that's just my personal opinion. The way I put it is like, sort of a a difference between a graze and a feast. So, you know, most animals that graze have vegetables available to them all day, every day. So I'm more lenient with eating vegetables and whatnot because it just seems to make sense where you can store them. They have a longer shelf life, whereas most protein sources and, like, if you killed an animal way back in the day, it would go to waste. So you usually ate a lot of it and really took it in and then yeah, so that, that kind of sets up the whole one meal a day thing for me. That
0: works for me too because like when I think of vegetables like I can eat one green bean and I've had enough of green beans. But like if we're talking burgers or something, like the meat side of thing, man I will I will put them down.
2: Yeah, I I, I, I it's like so intuitively it just makes sense. It seems absolutely, seems absolutely silly, silly but for anyone that, that does like vegetables and then does like meat, it, it really almost kind of just flows with it because it, you don't really have like one piece of steak and say, oh, I'm, I'm done with that. But like a vegetable, like a handful or a few pieces of broccoli, and you could say, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Well, I, I don't need any. <laughs> I, I I don't need to order like seconds and thirds of broccoli then. Well,
0: I mean if you have a huge appetite right okay. cool 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 um all right, yeah, the other thing is so we talked a little bit about you know you rehabbed uh your your leg and your foot and everything and uh also I just want to mention that uh we've you know recommended also on our our site uh your uh what athletes guide to chronic knee pain which is Uh, a really interesting approach to sort of, well, it's a more rehabilitative approach to curing knee pain. And uh, I thought that was really interesting and we we liked it. Uh, Could you maybe tell us a little bit about uh, sort of how that works, how you structured it and and why it it is effective when maybe a lot of other things aren't?
2: Sure. Um, Um, Yeah. I had pretty severe chronic knee pain. Uh, yeah, you're, you're setting me up for all these injury questions and make it seem like I'm some kind of like just I'm I'm prone to injury. and uh, I'm just like constantly disabled. Like I, I can't do anything. I need a cane to walk up the steps and I'm 25. No, but um, – well,
0: right. well, actually that's interesting and I don't want to say that, but it's interesting that you mention it because I think that your injury experiences have shaped – what you do as a coach and as an athlete yourself, right? And that's kind of what you were saying earlier, too, is that your own experience has shaped what you choose to write about and what you choose to research and teach about. And so I think that it's very interesting that you have these things that, you know, in some cases they've ended up becoming products that you sell. In some cases they become blog posts. But your injuries, you know, are one of the things that shaped uh, your unique approach. And so that's why it's kind of interesting to talk about them.
2: Yeah, definitely. I get you. I mean, it's just me looking back on myself, too. I was like, man, I I was hurt a lot. But that goes back to what we were saying before. Follow a structure, a semblance of a structure, and then you want to end up like me. But anyway, so with the knee pain, um, yeah, I had pretty severe knee pain. chronic, And I I distinguish between chronic and acute because it's important. Uh, Chronic knee pain is your tendonitis, maybe a a patellar tracking problem, Tendinosis, which is a sort of a more severe form of tendonitis, uh, if you want to say that. And I distinguish that from severe internal injuries like uh, any ligament damage or meniscus damage because that kind of stuff is more of, oh, you stepped, you cut the wrong way, you did this, your knee popped, and now you're in a lot of pain. Whereas chronic pain tends to uh, grow over time. So I was had pretty severe chronic knee pain, and I went to a lot of doctors. I did a lot of the common things, which was rest, which was ice, which was heat, because neither of those really did a lot for me, which was your traditional uh, white sheet of paper physical therapy rehab, you know, of, like leg extension and leg curls. And um, it really kind of hit me whenever I started to rest, and I did rest, and then I felt great after I rested for a few days. And then, as soon as I went back to activity, I was broken again. So I parallel this with, uh, and this is a very silly parallel, but if if you have some sort of mental disease that makes you want to touch hot stoves, like you can eliminate the stove and you're you're pretty much good to go. But as long as the stove is there, you're going to get keep getting burned. So. There's a, There's a difference between, between avoiding... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty silly, silly, but hopefully hopefully, it made sense. There's a difference, the difference between, between avoiding what causes pain causes and fixing what causes pain. pain. So, so yeah. that was really the... The push to write the book after my own experiences. I think and
0: it's a really key distinction, too, because, you know, a lot of people try things out, try new things that they think look interesting and fun, and maybe their body isn't ready for it yet. But that doesn't mean that they should give up and never do it again. They just need to prepare their body to be able to handle that sort of activity so like if you if you try running and you you know your your knees hurt or something it doesn't mean that you should never ever ever run again and so i think that that's a a really important point
2: yeah Yeah, that's that's a a great great point point because uh uh, i actually actually remember sitting sitting in in my college college class and and the professor, the professor was talking about, about pistol squats, squats, and I remember I was, like, I was, like so angry. Videos. I was like, I, I, I never can do, do pistol, pistol squats. My knee hurts so bad. bad. I'll, I'll, I'll never do them in my life. life. Like, they're, they're the bane of the my existence, existence for as long as long long I live. And then fast, fast forward to today, today, and I can, I can do, do pistol, pistol squats, squats with no problem. problem. Uh, uh, I actually have found them quite enjoyable lately. But, yeah, that's a great point.
1: Cool, man. All right. So moving on, moving on. Uh, I just got to say, I do like your new homepage. I want to bring it back to the homepage, uh, anthonymichael.com. Go ahead check it out if you haven't. Um, maybe- Make sure that you've played Legend of Zelda.
2: Yeah, first. there you go. I think that's yeah. going
0: to add dramatically to your enjoyment of
2: Anthony's website. <laughs> Pretty soon, it might be Dragon Ball Z, though. Who knows? I could change. Uh, it's up in the air. This this talk has really made me think about it. <laughs> All right, man. Anything else you want to share with us? Uh, not much. Just to, I, I want to touch on uh, the the my knee pain guide real quick because I didn't really talk about um really the the, the guiding philosophy is that most people uh, with right. knee problems yeah don't her. have don't have problems with their knee and this kind of goes back to me rehabbing my foot where whenever I was trying to balance on my foot like my my foot and ankle were what was just like torn to bits but just by trying to balance on my foot like my knee was wobbling in and out and you know you see the relationship between the foot the knee and the hip so if you're having any kind of chronic knee pain just the the quick quick tip of advice i'd give to you is focus on your foot and hip and that will probably bring you more success than anything you could possibly do with the knee well uh, that's that's all i wanted to say
0: no, I think that's a great point. And also, like, I remember I've had discussions with Jarlo about that, too. You know, the, the knee is really it, – it ends up being the the site of a lot of pain and trauma, but that's because it only works one direction and it's stuck between this ankle and hip that a lot of people have immobility or weakness in. And uh, so that can definitely uh, be a big issue for a lot of people. That's a really, really good point. Thank you. Cool. All right. Well, Anthony, I guess uh, we will wrap it up at that Um for a good time, people can call you at eight six seven five three zero nine. I don't. Probably nobody under the age of fifty. Yeah, would I was get gonna that say that. <laughs> <right. But laughs> that's only for
1: us old people. Uh, Anthony's too young to know that. I think. I, I, so. I got. I got it. Don't worry. I got.
0: it. Oh, okay. 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 All right. I, I instantly felt old when I said <laughs> that. So, uh, but yeah, thank you uh, for talking with us and uh, keep doing what you're doing.
2: Thanks for having me. I had a great time. Uh, let me know whenever you're you have that, that capability of, of running through that daisy field or that flower field. And we can do this again. You'll be the first one to, that will call, so I'll be sure of it. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, man.